Thanks for listening to the Toronto Legends Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Jerry McNamara. Born in Sturgeon Falls, Ontario, Jerry was a hockey goaltender who played four seasons with the St. Michael's Majors, 15 professional seasons in the AHL, EPHL, and the NHL, including two seasons with your Toronto Maple Leafs. After his playing career ended, he went on to serve as a scout for the Leafs before taking on the role of general manager under infamous owner Harold Ballard. Jerry is perhaps best known for two memorable events in Maple Leafs history. As a scout, Jerry was the man most responsible for bringing the late, great Borea Salming to North America and to Toronto. And as general manager, Jerry made the first overall choice in the 1985 NHL entry draft, selecting a youngster out of Kelvington, Saskatchewan, by the name of Wendell Clark. Welcome, Jerry, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Thanks very much for having me. And where are you today? What part of town are you in? I am in Etobicoke. Excellent. I think it's safe to say that as you enjoy your retirement, you have generally stayed out of the public eye. So please update us on all of the physical, mental, and emotional status of Jerry McNamara in October 2023. How are you? I'm, I'm doing pretty well, actually. I just had a birthday, uh, my 89th birthday. And it was great. They had a little party for me. Actually, there were two parties for me. And I don't know a lot of people would recognize the name Conacher, Peter Conacher. He and his wife had a little birthday party, and I was there, and they had a little cake. Uh, so that was great. And then that evening, I went to my son Ted's place, and we had a really nice party. Excellent. Well, happy birthday to you. And certainly at 89, you deserve two parties, so I'm glad you're doing it the right way. Now, I don't like to waste any time, Jerry. I'm going to jump right into the number one topic I want to cover with you. Beverly Hills 90210 was the absolute biggest show on television in the 1990s. Brandon Walsh was played by Canadian Jason Priestley. Now, Jason directed and narrated the recent documentary Offside, the Harold Ballard story in which you, Jerry, appeared. And in addition, Jason Priestley is actually playing you in the upcoming biopic series on Borea Salming, please share with us your relationship with Jason Priestley and did his friendship instantly turn you into a hero in the eyes of your children and grandchildren? I I met Jason. He seems like a terrific guy, and I'm thrilled to pieces that he's going to play me. But I must say that I'm in the the, uh, project as a cab driver. So if you're looking at me, oh, can't, that's me. I'm just a driver. I also understand that to accurately portray you, that Jason Priestley had to wear colored contact lenses, and he also had to spend hours in the makeup chair to ensure he was as good-looking as you were back in the 70s. You're too kind. <laughs> now, before we get to the story behind bringing the king, Borea Salmon, to Toronto, I want to ask you about two of the most significant days in your professional life, the first being when you played goalie for the Maple Leafs, and the second being after your playing career ended and you got hired by the Maple Leafs. First, let's start with your recollections from the very first time you stepped out onto the ice at Maple Leaf Gardens to play goalie for the Leafs on February 15th, 1961. We were playing against the Montreal Canadiens, 
And I have to tell you, I was not nervous at all. I, I kid you not. As a matter of fact, I played five games, and I was never nervous. And I, I always felt that the easiest league I played in was the National Hockey League because everybody did their job properly. When you're in the minors, that's not so. There are a lot of mistakes made by both tenders and forwards and defensemen. But in the National Hockey League, especially the team that I played with, with Horton and Stanley and Brewer and Bond, those guys, they did a great job defensively, and the forwards were great. So uh, I I was thrilled. I remember when I stepped on the ice, I said, I made it. <laughs> I made it. I always wanted to get here, and I finally got here. Well, what a great feeling. And also, Jerry, correct me if I'm wrong, you were replacing the injured Johnny Bauer. Yes. He was a great friend of mine, Johnny Bauer. As a matter of fact, when I was played my first pro game, but I wasn't a professional at the time. I was an amateur. I was at St. Mike's. And the Maple Leafs sent me down to Pittsburgh to take Gil Mayer's place. And I played against the Providence Reds who 1-3-1. And the goaltender up at the other end came down, patted me on the pads and said, nice game, kid, with Johnny Bauer. <laughs> wow, that's great. That's and great. I ended up taking his place when he left Cleveland to come to Toronto. And also, I want you to share your recollections from the day you first got hired by the Toronto Maple Leafs to work as a scout. How did this all come about? Well, I was delivering equipment for the WHA. I worked for Wellinger and Dunn, and I delivered equipment to Houston's team, Chicago's team, and the Hartford Whalers. And, of course, Houston was Billy Deneen, who I knew, and Jock Demers was with the Cougars. And I had to drive out to Minnesota to deliver that equipment. And on my way home, I phoned home, and my wife, Jean, said, that there was a call from Jim Gregory, something about being a scout. And I can tell you why he stopped in Sudbury, got a hotel room, and I was up at 5 o'clock driving home. I was excited big time. And I knew Jim, of course. He went to St. Mike's. And when I got down there, he said, I'd like you to become a scout with us. But I have to clear up with Mr. Bauer. Right now, he's over in Moscow. But he said, I think it'll be all right. But before we can announce it, I wanted him to pass it. But I was still excited. And then he invited me down for the the Canadian-Moscow team, uh, the Russians. And I watched it with John McCall and Jim Gregory. And, and that was the thrill. We were in the draft duty role. And I remember I was so excited to, <laughs> to, to, to work for the Maple Leafs. And it was one of the greatest days. And Jimmy Gregory is my number one hero. My number two hero was Joe Kane, who was a hockey guy and a lawyer, who brought me back into hockey after four years of retirement. And then I ended up being on the ice with the Maple Leafs, again, because he picked me up while I was an amateur with Aurelia to be the backup for uh, Bruce Campbell. So, and it might be a record, a guy played, in 61, and then came back and played in 70. And somebody who retired for four years. So those were red letter days, and I can't forget Charlie Seary, 
because I was at St. Mike's and I missed the year's hockey because I couldn't find any place to play. And he came down to coach St. Mike's. He is from Sudbury. And I'm sure he saw me play up in, up north. And they came and they asked me to be their backup goaltender for Ed Chadwick. And that brought me back into hockey. Well, I think it's amazing. There's, there's no boy growing up in Canada, and certainly in Toronto, who wouldn't dream of not only playing for the Leafs, but then later to get hired by them. So that's great. Now, Jerry, the new position that you took on as Special Assignment Scout for the Toronto Maple Leafs led you to your greatest find. At Christmas in 1972, your boss, Jim Gregory, called you into his office and asked you to go over to Sweden and to take a look at a goaltender named Kurt Larson at an international tournament. What happened from there, Jerry? First of all, thank you. You're the first person who got the right name, Kurt Larson, the goaltender. Everybody wants to say I had Inga's name or somebody else's name. It was Kurt Larson. I went to see him play, play from Soul Italia, and he was good, but I didn't think he was better than what we had. And, of course, I was over in Sweden, and they said there are two tournaments going on, the Ahern Trophy and the Star Cup, and you should go and see some games. And so I did, and I had the whole country to myself. There wasn't one scout there. And when I went to see Borea play, I, I didn't, you know, I'd seen him before in Vesteros. I, I really liked him, but I really went also to see the Barry Flyer team because I played goal for them in the playoffs, the Allen Cup playoffs. They picked me up from Aurelia, and I wanted to see them. So I sat at the game watching Borea play against Barry, and it was blood and thunder. They were running. You know, the Canadian people think, oh, we're going to run these suites. We'll run them out right out of the building. Well, they didn't do that, but they certainly left their print on them because they were spearing and slashing and you name it. And Borea was involved in lots of that, and that told me this guy has the courage. And then I looked at him, the way he played, he was like a ballerina on skates. And I couldn't get over how good he was, and Inga scored five goals. And so anyhow, near the end of the game, Corey got thrown over the game, and he walked along in front of me where I was sitting, and I was sitting with Mr. Johnson from CHA. I think he was the vice president. And I said, I got to go. And I took off, and I followed the men over to the dress room, and I remember they closed the door, and I knocked on the door, and I said, the trainer answered. I said, I'd like to speak with Borea. And Borea told the trainer to get out. Now, the story's a little bit different than what Borea says, because Borea always says, I don't know how he got into the dressing but that's how I got into the dressing So anyway, I went over to him. I remember him sitting on the bench. I went over to him. I handed my card. I wish I had one of those cards today. Believe me, I don't have it. I, I handed my card that said I was a special assignment scout. And I said, you could play for the Toronto Maple Police. Are you interested? And he sort of, he didn't speak very good English, but he knew what I was saying. And he nodded his head, yes. And I said, Inga too. Inga Hammerstraw. He said, speak with Inga. Good English. So... I left him. I waited for the team to finish, and then I followed Inga, and I grabbed him, 
And I said, Inga, you could play for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Are you interested? He said, sure. I said, you and Boria. And I said, I'll be in touch with you. And so he said, call me, or he said, I'll call you tonight or this morning at 1 o'clock. That's when he called me in the middle of the night, 1 o'clock. And we talked about it on the phone. And, and say, I said, we'll bring you over. You can sign contracts, blah, blah, blah. They, in May, they come over. And I took them to Niagara Falls to see the tower there in the falls a little bit. We had lunch. They signed. And they went home. And anyhow, I must tell you this. We went back to see Boria and Inga play in Moscow. And one of the players that I also put on the negotiation list was Andrews Hedberg. And Andrews Hedberg and Willie Lindstrom. Willie Lindstrom played with a little bit of an edge. And I thought he would do really well in the National Hockey League. Because that in those days it was blood and thunder with the Philadelphia team. And you know how they played then. So anyhow, when I tried to we went to Moscow to see Borian Inga play, and Jilly sent me and Bob Davidson, who was the chief scout. And we had a room in the in tourist hotel, which was right across from the Kremlin. And every time I woke up in the morning, I saw the big star sitting atop one of the pillars in the Kremlin. And we invited Anders Hedberg to come and see us. And Anders was gracious enough to come and see us. We sat down, and before I could say anything, Bob Davidson said, what makes you think you can play in the National Hockey League in that kind of voice? And I knew we were dead. I knew there was no chance. If I had been able to handle it by myself, I think I might have been able to. I understand Anders wanted to get his university degree, and and he wanted to finish school. We could have made arrangements for that. There's no question in my mind. And if he wanted to bring both Nelson with him, we could have made arrangements for that. But the rest of the system with him, he went to Winnipeg, and he played with Bobby Howard and Nils. And, and they played great. But the WHA wasn't the NHL. There's no question in my mind that Andrews would have been a great player. He did play in the NHL. He was a great player. Can you imagine if the Toronto Maple Leafs had Andrews Hedberg and Inga Hammerstock? And by the way, I want to say something about Inga. I thought he was terribly mishandled by the Maple Leafs. He was a way better player than they gave him credit for. And he scored 20 goals a year playing on the third and fourth line. He was never playing on the top lines. And I thought that they didn't do him right. And then they trained him. And then, of course, before that, you heard the garbage saying that Mr. Ballard had about Inga. And it was devastating. It was devastating to me. So you can imagine what it was like for Inga. Jerry, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm going to get to that because I do want to go more into the story of Inga Hammerstrom. And I'm also appreciative that you brought up the very parallel story of Anders Hedberg and Ulf Nielsen because you're correct. Can you imagine the Leafs if they had had all those guys? Yes. But let's go back to what you mentioned. May 12th, 1973, the Toronto Maple Leafs famously signed the two Swedes, Borja Salming and Inga Hammerstrom. 
This happening at a time when European players were pretty much non-existent in the NHL. Jerry, what was the reaction when Boria and Inga arrived in Toronto and when they skated onto the Maple Leaf Gardens ice for that very first practice? Okay, I remember during the summer, after May, we signed them. And I remember sitting around in King Clancy and Johnny McCollum's office, along Bob Davidson would be there. And I remember Johnny McCollum saying to me a number of times, Mac, you better be right. And I said, I don't have a problem. Bob Davidson sat there and never said a word, and he saw them play. He didn't back me up, so I shouldered it by myself. But I went to Johnny McLeod. I said, I want to tell you something, Johnny. This guy, Boris Salmi, is going to be a superstar in the National Hockey League. And there he is. Now, I must say this, and I want to get this in, because I've said it a number of times, and I know it might sound blasphemy to a lot of people, okay? I think Boris Salmi is the best defenseman that ever played in the National Hockey League from back then right up until today. That this guy had moves that nobody else had. He had courage that a lot of people don't have. He made all kinds of blocked shots. He, he sacrificed his body, and he played the same every game. He gave him a hundred percent every time he was on the ice, and I really believe this. And I, like I said, it might be blasphemy for a lot of people, but that's including Bobby Orr. And I know Bobby Orr. Bobby Orr, when I was coaching Dallas, which was a farm club of Chicago and the Maple Leafs, he used to come down to see the Chicago players play, and I get, I got to meet him, and I really liked him. I really liked him as a person, and I know he was a great, great, great hockey player and a great defenseman. But I read someplace recently where Don Cherry, I think, said that Bobby Orr couldn't skate backwards. <laughs> now, I don't know whether that's true or not, but I think I read that someplace, and his best friend, Don Cherry, this is what he said, was his coach. And I'm telling you, I told you that Boria was a ballerina on skates. He could do anything on skates, and I used to call him Plastic Man. Well, on that note, Jerry, I would like to share some audio with you. Here is the late, great Boria Salming himself with recollections of his first time on the ice at Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto. This audio clip has been very generously supplied courtesy of Joe Tilly's great Canadian sports show, which can be found as both a podcast and on YouTube. Coming up. Thanks, Joe. Okay, roll it, Biff. When we came over, when I came over and me and Inga, we, they told us, you know, we came, I think, a couple of weeks before the training camp. And uh, they told us, uh, listen, if you want to come down and skate, you know, come down and skate, you know. Okay. So we said, okay, we, we come down. We took the equipment down in, uh, in one of the dressing rooms there and we put on the equipment. And then we walked out. Then we looked up in the stands. Then we saw Jimmy, Harold. And there was, I think there was 10 of them. The whole management was standing up there because the only one who had seen me actually was probably Jerry McNamara play hockey. So right. they really wanted to see how, you know, how we were doing and if we could skate. <laughs> so we said, I told him, yeah, they said, listen, now let's skate. And they really showed them. And, you know, of course, we skated around and we're shooting the puck and everything. 
and that was uh, I think that was uh, the thing we want to show mm -hmm. them and Jerry told me afterwards and he said they were so impressed by our scaling and shooting and everything so I guess and he said because some guys some of those the management said you know what the hell what what are we going to do with two Swedes here you know they're, they're not going to make it but when we skated there they look up to Jerry and said holy mackerel like you know yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Jerry said, yeah, what did, what, what did I tell you? Great hearing from Boreas But I just want to add, and I, and I meant to tell you this, even before you brought that up, was that I remember coming out into the seats, and they were all lined up in their seats, King, Mr. Ballard, Johnny McClellan, Jim Gregory, and myself. Those guys come out on the ice, and their jaws drop when they saw what they did on the ice. And of course, Bory and Ingrid were putting on a show. They had got together and said, let's go and show them what we can do. And they gave their best, their honestly best. Great <laughs> Freya was a great day for me. Absolutely. The highlight of my career probably was getting Borea Salming because Borea Salming changed hockey forever. When he come over and played the way he did that first year in 1973. Everybody saw the way he played and Inga. And then next year, I went back to Sweden to see the same tournaments. And I'll tell you right now, the place is crawling with scouts. And then the exodus came with the European players. And it changed the hockey because they brought all that skill and all that blood and thunder stuff. Well, Jerry, I want to give you credit because, as you mentioned, when you first went over to Sweden to see this tournament where you first saw Borja and Inge, you had everything to yourself, and you did something really super smart immediately. Not wanting to leave the door open for scouts from the other NHL teams, you immediately called the Leafs hockey office and instructed them to add Salming and Hammerstrom to their protected list. And Anders Hedgord. <laughs> I would like, Jerry, to play one more clip for you now, again, this appears courtesy of Joe Tilly's Great Canadian Sports Show. This one is a bit more surreal, Jerry, because it is you being interviewed back in 1973. Okay, let's roll it, Biff. Well, I saw them play in two games when I went over just after Christmas, and I made up my mind at that time. Now, we went back for a second look over in Russia at the World Tournament, and, of course, this sort of corroborated what exactly what I had said earlier, that uh, they were good enough to play. Are they going to make the big club? That's up to Red Kelly, but uh, in my opinion, I think they'll make the big club, yes. Well, I saw them play a game in Vesteros, which is maybe two and a half an hour train ride out of Stockholm. And Hammerstrom that day scored a goal, and Salming move pretty well. He moves the puck up real quick. He, he's fast. He's got some great moves. Um, you have to see it to believe it, in my opinion. Now, I'm a little prejudiced, so <laughs> you have to sort of uh, think about that. You have to see it to believe it. How great is that? I remember. <laughs> now, in hindsight, Jerry, it has been proven, without a doubt, that you were absolutely correct in predicting that Borea Salming would become an all-star in the NHL. He's been named as one of the top 100 players in the history of the league. He was the first Swedish player inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame 
and he remains the highest scoring defenseman in Toronto Maple Leafs history. On a personal note, Boria was my guy. I had the replica number 21 classic two-tone blue and white jersey with the lace-up front and the more geometric Maple Leaf crests, both on the front and on the shoulders. I was at Boria's 1,000th game celebration, which was in fact his 1,011th actual game, but that's another story. And I was fortunate enough to meet the king not once, but twice in real life. As many listeners will know, Boria was diagnosed with ALS or Luke Eric's disease in July 2022, and he passed away on November 24th of that same year. There was a massively emotional weekend-long celebration of Boria in Toronto that took place less than two weeks before his passing. He was honored alongside his family by the Hockey Hall of Fame and then honored in a special nationally televised pregame ceremony ahead of a Leafs game. They were both very touching events for sports fans in this city, and many will remember how emotional in particular his captain, Daryl Sittler, got, which kind of summed up all of our collective feelings. Jerry, I feel that the Maple Leafs made a major oversight by not including you in these celebrations of the King, as it is universally acknowledged that you were the guy to bring him to Toronto. I understand that since that terrible oversight, team president Brendan Shanahan, famous for his now decade-old Shanna plan, has personally reached out directly to you to try and make amends and bring you back into the organization as a valued Maple Leafs alumnus. Would you like to share the story of Brendan Shanahan reaching out to you on behalf of the Toronto Maple Leafs? Sure. Brendan sent me the email, and I was blown away by it because the first time anybody from Toronto got in touch with me about alumni or anything else. The last person was John Ferguson Jr., who invited me down to see the raising of Boyer's sweater to the rafters. And I appreciated that very much. And that was the last time I heard from the Maple Leafs. Now, that's back, I guess, in the 80s or late 90s, maybe. And then all of a sudden, I got this email from Brendan. And it was very much appreciated. And I guess the nicest line of the whole email was the past significant contributions that I had made to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And he wanted him be there as his guest and to sit with them and they could have a chat where we could have a chat. Anyhow, I phoned to say I couldn't go because of some circumstances. And he called me back. I think he was in Michigan when the kids were playing in Michigan. Uh, There was a tournament there for the training camp. And we had a chat. And the first thing I said, I have to get this out off my chest, I was really disappointed that I was invited for about Boris Samuel, especially when he passed away a few weeks later. And I felt really bad, and I also felt badly for Inga. Inga should have been there too, because he was part of history. And, and But anyhow, uh, I feel a little differently about the chocolate players now. I'm looking forward to doing a bring me to a game, uh, they're going to pick me up, and they're going to take me back home. I can bring one person. And he said, bring your wife. And my comment to him was, my wife doesn't know a hockey stick from a broomstick. And he said, sounds like my wolf. <laughs> but, so anyhow, I'm going to take my son, Ted. 
and I'm looking forward to it. And and I'll pick a game. You'll give me probably a list, and I'll probably sit in the alumni box. And it would be nice to talk to a couple people. But I have to straighten a few things out. I'd like Wendell Clark to find out how he really got to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Number well, one. Hold on that, Jerry, for one sec, because okay. first of all, I want to just tell you that's great. I'm very pleased that someone came to their senses and that Brendan has reached out to you to bring you back in the fold. That's great news. Now, when you talk about your contributions to the team, another big move of yours was successfully pushing to make Wendell Clark the number one overall pick in the 1985 NHL entry draft. You were the GM, but you had a team of scouts, and of course you had the big boss, Harold Ballard. Was there consensus amongst your management team that Wendell should be the number one pick? Okay, uh, I remember it very well. I went to Saskatoon to see Wendell play, and I was impressed with him. He was up the ice all night, up in the other corner. He's a defenseman. He's up in the corner. He's getting great shot. He was tough. He could skate. And I said, there's no way this guy can play defense for the John and Maple Leafs. And so when I got back, I said, I really liked him. And the scouts got together, had their meetings. And I sat in, I remember one day, and I just listened. And then finally, Floyd Smith, who was the chief scout, came to me and said, Jared, the consensus is with our scouts, they want to take Craig Simpson. And I remember it like it happened yesterday. I took my hand and I crossed it over my neck and I said, Smitty, this is on my neck. The first overall pick. We're taking Wendell Clark. And that's who we took. Otherwise, Wendell would have been playing for somebody else. I know Del Torre at the draft tried to trade two players that he had. Um, I know one is Del Garno, Brad Del Garno, and the other one played for the Maple Leafs, and I keep forgetting his name. If you told me, I could tell you right off. Yeah, that's him. Anyway, he he was trying to get me to trade my first-round draft choice, but to me, it's sacrilege to trade your first-round draft choice. I always said, keep it. You can do so many things with the first, especially when you're picking overall. And I might tell you a little bit of a side. I had a plan. And my plan was we we're going to get Eric Lindros. And the Maple Leafs were coming, but we're not there. And I knew where we're going to be behind. As it turned out, they ended up in 19th place. So they took the second overall pick. The first overall pick was Eric Lindros, and Quebec took him. And the next pick was Niedermeyer, but the Maple Leafs weren't there. They lost their, their choice because they traded it for Tom Curvis. And I know Tom Curvis was a good player, but I don't think they'd ever sacrificed, made it the first overall choice, which I think I would have got. That was my plan. But unfortunately, I got fired. He would have looked pretty good on our team. I can tell you more right now. He would have looked pretty good, Jerry. And I, I want to give a shout out to the very brand new book from Doug McLean and Scott Morrison called Draft Day. They share a lot of your feelings about, for example, sacrilegious to get rid of your first choice, especially when it's first overall. 
And in fact, they have a full chapter on the whole Eric Lindros saga. So I hope you get to read that because it'll bring back a lot of memories for you. So kudos to you, Jerry, because of course, Wendell Clark has gone down as one of the most popular Maple Leafs ever. His banner does hang in the Scotiabank Arena rafters alongside of Boreas Salming. What do you love about Wendell Clark? What do I love about Wendell Clark? What isn't there to love about Wendell Clark? Unfortunately, he didn't play a lot for me because he had some injuries. But everybody knows what happened to Wendell Clark, how well he played. And the crazy part about it is they traded him. And they had to get him back. And they traded Cardinal. And they traded Iafrain. And they traded Dan Flutes. These were the kids. This was this was going to be the team that was going to take us to the promised land with the adding with Lindros. And how about Daniel Marois? Second-round choice. And I love Daniel Marois. He came to the Maple Leafs in three years. He scored 92 goals, and he dropped off the face of the earth. And I ran into Dan Foose one day up at York University, I think, at the rink. And I said, what happened to Daniel Marois? And he said he was bullied. He never told me who, but he was bullied. And, and of course, Dan Foose got traded, and he couldn't protect him any longer. There's a laundry list of great players that you drafted that didn't get to achieve in Toronto and achieve later. Russ Courtnell, Ally Frady, Wendell Clark, of course, did achieve. Vince Stamfus, Luke Richardson, Gary Lehman, Peter Inachek, Todd Gill, all had long careers. That brings us back to the whole environment you're in, Jerry, at Maple Leaf Gardens. When Jim Gregory brought you aboard, he told you to, quote, expect a crisis every single day. What was it like working for Harold Ballard and what was your relationship like with the sometimes cantankerous and always unpredictable owner of the Maple Leafs? I can only tell you, Jimmy Gregory was spot on. Mr. Ballard was a strange person. And I think a lot had to do with he lost his wife. And she was a beautiful lady. And he was by himself. And I guess King was his best friend. And as a result... He was a changed man. He was a Jekyll and Hyde. And you never, when you saw the photographer's camera and their coats sitting on the chair in front of the secretary's desk, and he was, they were in the room with Mr. Ballard, you knew that something was up. And, he, and you always shudder that this was it. Something's going to happen. I remember when I signed my three-year contract. The first scene that came out of his mouth was, this doesn't mean I can't fire you. That's exactly what he said to me. <laughs> it's so many things. Really, Mr. Ballard, his biggest problem, I, and I always call him a Jekyll Hyde, because he did a lot of nice stuff for me and my family, but he did a lot of things that hurt our team. And I can honestly say, just to give you a story, about Randy Carlisle. I coached Randy down in Dallas, and they brought him up. And I remember him asking me, what do we think of Randy Carlisle? I said, he was the best defenseman in the Central League. And he said, that must be some kind of league. That told me something about him. He didn't know what he was talking about. He got all stuff from other people, and he listened. He listened to other people. And as a result, it was difficult, really difficult. And one of the things I tried to do, and I worked really hard at it, was try to get rid of Brophy. 
And I think, I must say this, and I know he's passed away, but he knows or he knew how I felt about him right from the get-go. Because a couple of things that Wolfie did, I'll, I'll just mention if you don't mind. I got a cup for him because we brought him in as an assistant coach. That's probably my fault. My fault. I'm sorry I did it. And in the end, it cost me, and it probably cost him my job. Anyway, he's the assistant coach for Danny Maloney. Danny Maloney comes up to my office. He said, get this guy out of here. I said, Danny, what's wrong? He said, this trophy, get him out of here. I don't want him around. And so I took Brophy and sent him to St. Catharines, and I brought up poor Claire Alexander because his family was settled in St. Catharines, and he was uprooted, and I know it wasn't pleasant for him. But he came in and did the job for us. I love Claire Alexander. He's a good friend of mine, and I, and I, and I hope I'm still his good friend. So the thing is this, I felt badly about that, but i got to tell you how John Brophy got his job with the National with as the coach. So we changed from St. Catherine to Newmarket and we had a press conference. And that was kind of maybe a day after we got knocked out by St. Louis. We had beaten Detroit, but we got knocked out by St. Louis. And we were all up in Newmarket for the press conference. And Bernie Fournier came, he was Mr. Ballard's chauffeur. He came to me and said, Jerry, would you bring Mr. Ballard back to the gardens? I have something to do. And I said, sure, I'd be happy to take him back to the gardens. So anyway, while the press conference was going on, Mr. Ballard said to the press, it was Danny Maloney's fault that we lost. And Danny Maloney came back. He said, do you know what that guy said? I said, Daniel, cool in. What are you talking about? He said, Ballard, he's back there and he's blaming me on losing to St. Louis. He said, you know that contract, and this is a contract that I negotiated with, negotiated with him in the morning for $130,000. He wanted a three-year deal. I could only give him a one year, and I told him that. But I said, our, our team is upcoming. I said, go and coach for the year, and I'll guarantee you, if we do a good job, I'll get you a three-year deal. So he agreed. We didn't sign any sheet to say, you know, he's doing it, but we agreed. And the old man's agreement is mad to man. It was a contract. So anyhow, when he came back and was in an outrage, he said, you know that deal we have, that contract that I agreed to? I'm coming in tomorrow morning, and I want a three-year deal. I said, Danny, I can't get you a three-year deal, but I'll see you tomorrow. I drove Mr. Ballard back, and if he just could in the car, and the first thing he said to me is, you know that contract you have for Danny Maloney in your pocket? He said, keep it in your pocket. I want John Brophy as a coach. And my heart went right up into my throat. And I thought very quickly, and I said, you know what, Mr. Ballard, I'm going to Hilton Head next week. Brophy's going to be there. Give me a chance to sit down and have a chat with him, seal him out, and go from there. When I get back, we'll talk about it. He said, Jerry, great idea. So we go to Hilton Head. Monday morning, after the first day of the meeting, I come out at 11.30 when the meeting was over, and there's this spot photographer there, and he comes over and he says, excuse me, can you tell me where John Brophy is? I said, what do you want John Brophy for? 
He said he's just the name the coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Each story, gospel, I'm telling you. And I never, I never was able to hire my own coach. And that's why I went on record and said, listen, don't blame me for the record. Blame me for the players that were on the ice. I take the blame for that because I was the one that put them there. And so that's the way I left it. And that was how I probably kept my sanity because I knew I'd done a good job, but I got fired. Well, let me give the context. That's a very interesting story, Jerry, and, and it does lend credence to the whole circus uh, vision of Maple Leaf Gardens in the, the 70s. Harold Ballard treated you great, but he never let you pick your own coach. Mike Nicolek was coach when you were promoted to GM, followed by Dan Maloney and John Brophy, as you note. In all three cases, you, the general manager, had no say in their comings or goings, so I can see why you'd be so frustrated. Now, on February 7th, 1988, you got fired. This was over the phone while you were in Hartford. Harold Ballard actually wanted you to quit. But what did you tell him? I told him he's made a big mistake. When I got home uh, from Hartford, the, the next morning I went in to get my stuff to clean out my desk. I went into his office. I thanked him for making me a general manager. But I told him you're firing the wrong guy. And... I tell you what, I would give you half my salary. I bet you half my salary that we could get this straightened out. He said, well, I didn't know. I said, well, why didn't you give me a chance to talk to you? He said, well, you're welcome to come in here every any day. Me and I could come to the gardens and watch games. So anyway, that was, that was Mr. Ballard. That's what he did. And unfortunately, it cost big time because... They lost a great chance in having a really good team. We all feel that way. We did lose a huge chance in Toronto, but for you personally, you rebounded. You were quickly snapped up by the Calgary Flames, where you won a Stanley Cup with them as a scout in 1989. Jerry, where do you keep your championship ring? <laughs> you know what? I, I, I wear it very seldom. I wore it yesterday because I went to a funeral of a friend who was a really good sports enthusiast and made believe fan, and I wore it there to honor him. And they were all excited to see it, his family, and I was glad I wore it. I very seldom wear it, and uh, I keep it. And I, I can't tell you where I keep it, just in case. I don't want anybody to steal it. I value it. Good idea. We'll keep that to ourselves. This interview with Jerry McNamara was suggested by past Toronto Legends guest Sean Mitten, who has written multiple books on the 72 Summit Series, including his most recent, When Canada Shut Down. Jerry was a great idea, so thanks, Sean. If you have a guest suggestion for the Toronto Legends podcast, please connect via my email address, which is in the show notes of this episode. And now, back to Jerry McNamara. Now, this next segment is called Jerry McNamara has things he wants to get off his chest. Now, Jerry, you have told me that as we take this drive down memory lane, that you would like to straighten out some of the curbs in the road along the way, so to speak. So without further ado, I am turning the microphone over to you to clear the air. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Andrew. I'll tell you what. When I was the general manager... And I gave Ricky Vive a $300,000 contract 
which was second on our team. Boria Salmane got $350,000. And I can tell you that Ricky Vi thought I was a pretty good gentleman. He was happy, always cordial, no problem. And at Christmas, he wished me a Merry Christmas, and he gave me a pen with my name engraved on it. I appreciated it very much. I thanked him. And so I was still a pretty good general manager. But then there was a fateful day that came. And the fateful day was the day that Danny Maloney called me and he said, Jerry, we've got a problem. He said, Rick Vive showed up for the practice drop. I was blown away. And immediately I said, not Mr. Bauer, this is my decision. I said to Danny, take the C off of him. We don't need a captain that doesn't show leadership and ends up coming with the camp to training or to a game at practice. Sorry, I, I get excited about this. Coming to a practice, drop. We can't have that. It's not a very good example for the rest of the team. And so that's the real story. That's exactly what happened to Rick Fies. Now, I read an article recently where it was written by Houston of the Goldman Mail. It was on the Internet. And that, this was written a while back where Rick and his wife, his wife said that Rick asked for a trade and Rick's cooperated, I guess he was right there with her, and then he said, listen, they didn't have to be so, he and me and Ballard didn't have to be so trigger happy in taking the sea off him because he slept in. He didn't sleep in. You know, I just finished telling you what he did. So that's why we took, that's the way I took the sea off of him. Now I had to get this off my chest because I've been reading some stuff and hearing some stuff that he's saying about me still. And I remember years ago, I ran into him, and he was an assistant coach for some amateur team, and I, we had a, a little chat, and the last thing I said to him was, Rick, keep your mouth shut. And if he had kept his mouth shut, I would never, ever reveal this. I would go to my grave with this. I wouldn't have said a word. But after listening to all the things he's saying about me, like one of the comments, I, I gather he said something on the Ballard show, but I didn't see that. But he said something about me, and and I know he said this on his podcast. He said, Ballard didn't want to spend the money on a GM, so he hired McNamara. That's a slight to me. And I must say, if I'm the only one to say it, I thought he did an excellent job for the Knight Leaves as a general manager. I grew into it pretty quick. But I wanted to get that off my chest about, about, about Rick, and I had to do it. And I'm glad you gave me the opportunity to do it. But I must just a little backtrack a little bit at, about Mr. Ballard. I've got one more thing to say. Mr. Ballard, came to me, this is when Imlac was here, and Imlac, the day before training camp, he took a heart attack. 
And the next day, I went over to, to St. Catharines. We were training there. And I watched for a while what was going on. And then I came back. I was sitting at my desk getting ready for the night scouting trip that I was going to take. And he came out of his office. He came to me and said, Jerry, I want you to take over. And if you can't do it, I'll get somebody else to do it. And I said to him, I can do it. And so anyhow, I was getting $24,000, believe me. And I would do it for nothing. Believe me, I would if I had the wherewithal to keep my family going and myself. I would do it for nothing. That's how much I enjoyed the job. He never gave me a cent that year. And not only that, I lost a year of pension with the National Hockey League because of it. Because he called me the acting general manager, and Imlac got the money for being the general manager, and he also got the pension for being the general manager. And when I severed, when my contract was severed, and I got a lawyer, I don't think the lawyer did a very good job. I don't really want to say his name, but I don't think he did a very good job because he didn't do the research and asking, well, are you happy with your pension? Are you happy with what they did? And blah, blah, blah. And I would have told him my, the things I wasn't happy with. But no, it was kind of rushed. The lawyer finished the, the deal with the Maple Leafs, and I now was a free agent. I got my money from the Toronto Maple Leafs, and this lawyer ended up being a director with the Toronto Maple Leafs. So <laughs> I rest my case. <laughs> it sounds like a textbook case of conflict of interest, but unfortunately, it sounds like that's what happened. Jerry, before we end our chat, I did want to share a question that came in from podcast listener Jeremy White, who goes by the Twitter handle at NHL Art. He writes, Mr. McNamara, do you have any recollections of Cesar Maniego or Gary Suitcase Smith? both of whom broke in with the Leafs in the 1960s and subsequently had interesting careers. I know them both. I know Caesar. Caesar is a friend of mine. What the St. Mike's? He, he took my place at St. Mike's. Gary Smith also played there. I know Gary. I talked to him on a forum we had, but it was just a Zoom call. Uh, but I remember Gary very well because he was with Mrs. Sullivan. And when I was coaching Dallas, Minnesota didn't make the playoffs, and they sent all their players that they could down to play for the Fort Ward Texans. And I was coaching the Dallas Blackhawks. And we went to the seventh game of the of the final the series, best of seven, and we went into three overtimes. And I remember in the overtime, a guy by the name of Greg Peggy, David, who was a goal scorer, had the puck, an open net, and suitcase was down on the ground, on the ice, with his skates looking at me, and I have my hands halfway up, and he shoots the puck right into his skates, and we don't score. Three minutes later, they scored the winning goal. So anyway, that's what I know about Suchi, but he's a nice guy. I see things on the internet and the whole bit. So I have nothing bad to say, I, and I really like Caesar because I know him. And 
Jerry Cheevers was the same way. Jerry Cheevers was the St. Mike's guy. I remember being in a bank, the Royal Bank, up in the Toby Cole two years back, and I'm talking to to a teller, and there's somebody at the bar, and I hear the guy say, is that Jerry McNamara? And, of course, he comes around the corner, and it's Jerry Cheevers. <laughs> so at least he knew my voice. <laughs> Jerry, I have to tell you, being a kid growing up in Toronto, every single name you've mentioned resonates for me. It's in my wheelhouse to hear all these stories from the horse's mouth, so to speak, from the guy that was there. It's just fantastic. This has been such a pleasure for me. I hope you take this as the appropriate compliment it's meant to be. At 89 years old, for you to have the detailed memory that you have, I can't even remember what I did last week, the amount of detail and the names, it's incredible. And I really want to thank you for your time today. It's been great chatting with you. Thanks, Andrew. I'd like to say one more thing if I could. I'd like to thank Superwoman, my niece, Alana, because she's the one that set this up electronically. She's very, very smart, and she's very, very kind. She's been great for me. So I want to thank her. Kudos to Alana, and I also think we should thank our mutual friend, Sean Mitten, who is a not only a past Toronto legend, but a great author, and uh, he also connected us. So thanks and to Sean. And to the listeners, on behalf of Jerry McNamara, I am Andrew Applebaum, saying thanks for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends Podcast. Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's Take This Outside, a new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca.